Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before God, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to unreachable heights to us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, covetousness, ignorance, all of this. Let it depart from the tents of your holy nation and stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness, and may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. May the service be presented into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. And so the unchanging epigraph of our study of our inheritance in Jesus Christ is the book of Luke 24:44. Then Jesus said to his disciples, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And so saying these words, Jesus began to distance himself from them, and the cloud took him from their sight. These were the last words that Jesus to his disciples that everything that was to be fulfilled about me as the Son of Man I have fulfilled already. And so that we as the participants of the body of Christ would share together with Christ the fulfillment of all that is written about him in Scripture, we will continue to study our collaboration with the truth of the Word of God that is concealed within our heart with the Holy Spirit who reveals the truth in the heart what we need to do from our side so that we can receive the right to the power to put off our former way of life so that we can clothe our bodies into a new way of life. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful lusts, to be made new by the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new self created by God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. These words Apostle Paul addressed to the Christians, those that were baptized by the Holy Spirit in speaking in tongues, they are born from God, and he tells them that they need to put off their former uh, way of life, their old self. And so that means that being born from God or being born from the seed of the word of truth only one aspect of our essence is born at that time, and that is our spirit. 
he is in the likeness of God, inherent to God, he is born from God, our soul and our body remain the same, our character remains the same. And if is good, sometimes people do have characters that are quite pleasant, but for the most part, people are very egotistical and rude, and they remain egotistical and rude. And so now, they need to change their character, because this character has a good and bad character, it doesn't matter, it needs to be cast off in some way. This is the call that we have. People think that their calling is when they repent to immediately run somewhere and preach somewhere to someone to call people to church and so forth. Jesus said that to call people you need to be a light and when you will be a light people themselves will come. John the Baptist, he didn't make any attempt of evangelizing but all of Judea and all of the Jordan surrounding areas, all these people gathered to him and why? Because the Spirit of God is was in him. If the Spirit of God is in us, we will not need to go somewhere else. Only in maybe specific situations where God may send someone. And so in this way, if a person does not put off his former way of life, the old man will not cast him off of themselves, then this person will not be able to renew their mind with the spirit of their mind and not having renewed their mind they will not be able to clothe themselves into their new person and then this calling will not be fulfilled I don't know how God will save such people I am very saddened that all of these people that don't know this this calling if God saves them, then it is out of mercy as that criminal that was hanging at the side of Christ. They all need to repent <clears throat> to receive salvation. Having received salvation, they lose it immediately because they begin earning it by doing good deeds instead of by receiving justification and the salvation because of God's uh, gift of grace to perform righteousness. And this performance of righteousness is counting yourself dead to sin, living for God, and pro, uh, proclaiming the non-existent stronghold of life in your body as existent. It's simple. And you don't need to say then that you need to, you need to, you need to. No one needs to do anything or require. They don't even explain what they need to do. They say you need to be like this, but they don't explain what it is and how you need to be this way. And so to fulfill this decreeing commandment, as we've read, we need to put three destiny impacting, commanding, and fundamental acts into practice. These are put off, be renewed, and put on. Our calling Fulfilling these three destiny impacting, commanding, and fundamental requirements will determine whether we transform ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath. A person is given a choice after salvation that he either convert himself into a vessel of mercy or vessel of wrath. Once he understands and begins to cast off of himself his old man, the Holy Spirit speaks 
uh, through the sermon, it is explained how to cast off the old man, what you need to do to do this, how to renew your mind, because often the thoughts of a person are anywhere else but the church that he's in. Or specific, more specifically, will our salvation happen that is given to us in the format of a seed, identifying the security deposit or just the deposit of our justification in the given to us salvation? Because salvation is given in the format of a seed, it needs to be grown, but people automatically think they have salvation. You have a seed, you need to grow, grow it. This is a guarantee. A guarantee doesn't mean that a house is yours. It's just a guarantee because you put your down payment, you put in the uh, deposit, but you need to bring in the remaining balance. You need to turn to profit. You need to die in the death of the Lord Jesus for your nation, the house of your father, and for your destructive desires. And when you do this, only then is this a choice you make. If you do this, you become a vessel of mercy. If you don't die by the cross of the Lord Jesus, we don't separate from our nation, the house of our Father, and from our destructive desires, then we ourselves transform ourselves into vessels of wrath. And so in these, we need to turn the three above-mentioned acts into profit within the death of our Lord Jesus, so that our salvation can become our possession in the format of the fruit of righteousness. Otherwise, we will forever lose the justification that is given to us in the format of a deposit, which is why then our names will, will forever be blotted out of the book of life in the format of the given to us guarantee of justification or salva- and salvation. <clears throat> in a specific format, we already looked at the process contained in the first two requirements and stopped to study the process of the third requirement and specifically what conditions we need to fulfill so that by the means of an already renewed mind we can begin the process of clothing ourselves into the power of the glory of our new person who is created according to God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holy truth. That is begin to confess the truth that is contained in the heart. And when we confess the truth that is contained in the heart, then these words begin to clothe us into the resurrection of Christ. Relevant to this, we stop to study the allegory contained in the 18th Psalm of David, where the Holy Spirit, with the wisdom and authority that He alone has, reveals the demands according to which we are called to collaborate our faith prayer with the name of God El Elyon, or God Most High. Because David, in this Psalm, calls God El Elyon by the name El Elyon, which means Most High God. And this condition consists in us calling upon the Most High as to our God and proclaiming the faith of our heart when we are in the circumstances of our uh, almost fatal situation. We're dying for our egoism. We're dying for our jealousy, our control. We're in our tight situation, casting off this old man. This is when we are able to call upon the Most Highest to our God and proclaim the state of our heart, who God is to us in Jesus Christ, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, who we are to God in Jesus Christ by the fact of our birth and our origin that is in Jesus Christ. We begin to, when we pray, we say, Father, our Father. In heaven, we call Him our Father. 
He has become our Father in Jesus Christ by the fact of our birth. From Him, what do we need to do so that we can inherit all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ and what He has placed already upon our e accounts, each one of our accounts? We note that the given allegory is one of the most powerful and voluminous examples demonstrating the collaboration of our renewed mind as King David and we re received this renewed mind when we rose from death and have been clothed into the resurrection of Christ. And so we see the demonstration of the collaboration of our renewed mind as King David and the name of God Most High and their violent conflict with our carnal mind as King Saul and also with governing sin who is our old person with his deeds. And so three kings living within our body and they lead a very harsh battle and they fight amongst one another upon the field of our heart and the one that we give preference to consideration to is the one that will take control of our body David gave preference to his new person because he sang this song when God delivered him from all of his enemies and the hand of Saul this carnal mind which is a God for man. Men worship their intellect. People say, this is how I understand it, this is my opinion, this is how I agree or don't, or don't agree. People don't even realize that their head is given so that they can in this physical world live and understand the things in the world. Our mind, even in this physical world, calls one thing today and the same thing they call different tomorrow and so we use our mind but there's propaganda there's school culture uh, parents and other things and you say this is my opinion but sometimes it really isn't that sometimes something someone else has uh, convinced you of and it is actually the thoughts of another. We are given the heart so that we understand God and His Word. You don't. You won't understand it with the the regular mind. The mind won't allow uh, you to worship someone different because the mind itself considers itself a god. In its character, the Psalm of David contains three parts, where we see demonstrated an example of the character of our legitimate prayer belonging to us as kings, priests, and prophets. If a person has not clothed himself into a virtue of a king, priest, and prophet, and this is only possible after you have died in the death of the Lord Jesus for his nation, the house of his father, and his corrupt desires, uh, if he hasn't, then this word or this is not for him. He can't be a king, priest, and prophet. He can't be a king to God. He can't be a prophet hearing the voice inside of him, the Lord, and that the Lord hear him. A person thinks that if he prays, that God automatically hears. Often a person prays and feels satisfied, but that doesn't mean that God has heard this person just because he feels satisfied. Sometimes we pray, but inside, you still have a storm uh, inside. You pray and you still have a storm inside, and you finish your prayer, but the storm still uh, continues. You can't, according to your emotions, determine if your prayer has reached God. Sometimes you pray, there's such, uh, sometimes when you pray, there's such uh, storms that will rise. Uh, legions, even of unclean spirits, will attack this 
kingdom of darkness, organized kingdom of darkness, when David began, Daniel began praying, then the organized uh, powers of darkness uh, became very active, and the response from God was actually withheld, if you remember. And when finally the archangel, Gabriel, was able to break through to him, and he tells him, at, at the start of your prayer, the response already was given. As soon as, as soon as you began praying, God responded, and I was supposed to bring you this response. But the prince of Persia was rising against me, and I had to battle with him until God sent Michael, uh, the archangel Michael, and he uh, remains there uh, to fight while I bring you the response. And so see what our prayer can do. It can literally rise all of hell against you because with our prayer, we begin to take hold of such promises that belong to us but are not within our grasp, within our within our hands. Those promises that God has promised as oath promises are in the hands of our enemies and we need to go in and battle and take control. And when we began doing this, and we didn't do this a long time, we think we're saved and we're earning uh, our salvation with righteous works, good works. And when we realize that you can't earn salvation, it's already done by Christ. Otherwise, why did he die if you can earn your salvation with good works? And so the first part identifies the state of the heart of David as a warrior in prayer in the psalm which is the required basis for the legitimate status of his prayer, belonging to kings, priests, and prophets. The second part opens up the consistency of legitimate prayer itself, which belongs to kings, priests, and prophets, which gives God the proper basis to deliver us in the image of David from the hands of all of our enemies because we are studying our new person as this David and our carnal mind as the Saul. And governing sin is the king Agog, the unclean king and other kings who were upon the territory of the Canaanite lands. The third part illustrates the prayer battle itself in an epic way which is beyond the limitation of the typical human mind of man. In a specific format we already looked at the first part and stopped to look at the second part which opens up the consistency of legitimate prayer in the eight names of God Most High. And so this speaks of the fact that when God uses eight eight of God's names, David uses eight of God's names, he is praying according to the covenant. What God has concealed in the covenant, he takes this and uses it. When he brings forth or prays ten names, then he is praying according to the holiness or the law or seven as as a number of wholeness or perfection and so we need to understand the number of names getting to know and confessing the power that is contained in the heart of David consisting of the eight names of God allowed David to love and call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised so that he can be he can be saved from his enemies, and God getting to know and confessing the truth that opens up the power of his names within the heart of David provided God with legitimate grounds to use the power contained in the capabilities of his names in battle against the enemies of David. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise. 
and I have been saved from my enemies, Psalm 18, 1 through 4. And so all of us together, let us proclaim who God is to us in Jesus Christ in these eight names. Lord, you are my strength. Lord, you are my rock. Lord, you are my fortress. Lord, you are my deliverer. Lord, you are my rock in whom I take refuge. Lord, you are my shield. Lord, you are the horn of my salvation. And Lord, you are my stronghold. May the Lord hear these words and confirm them within our heart. And may he make us immovable and worthy of praise. Not all people have the right to worthily worship God in spirit and in truth. They think they are, but it's rare that Christians have that privilege. For the most part, Christians are people who, whom God has called, but they have not been chosen. All of these called will perish. Only the chosen will be saved. The called is as, for example, there's a big building being built. And, for example, uh, they build a big building and there are other little houses built around so that people uh, temporarily either use them uh, uh, while they're building the main building. And so once it's finished, that building the main building is finished, the rest of these are destroyed. And so this is that example of the chosen and the called. So few are chosen, but many are called. And so these are those outer uh, houses. Uh, they are in the church, and God does use them to uh, form us, to test us, and to bring us into his perfection. We are considered toward them, but they are not considered toward you because the called will not be considered of anyone. They're typical egotistical people who are continuously only looking for their own benefits. And so, as much as the Lord has allowed and according to the measure of our faith, we already studied our inherited lot in Jesus Christ and the power of six names of God. And these are strength, rock, fortress, deliver, living rock, and living shield. And stop to study our unsearchable inherited lot in Jesus Christ in the name of God, the horn of our salvation. Getting to know the eight names of God, which identify God's covenant with us, is a strategic teaching as well as a tactical teaching, which is purposed to be the calling of every warrior in prayer, which they are called to be clothed into as a mantle and as holy garments for kings, priests, and prophets, who are anointed by the Holy Spirit to rule over their earthly body. If a person who is born from God has not accepted the given to him anointing to rule over his calling, which is his mortal body, in the status of a king, priest, and prophet so that he can change it into a heavenly body, then the revelation about God, consisting of his glorious name Horn, that is purposed for worshiping God in spirit and in truth, will not benefit him in any way, because due to his stiff neck he has refused the given, to, the given to him by God calling to save his soul, to then by the means of his saved soul to adopt his body by the truth that is contained in the redemption of Christ. 
Therefore, the quality and lexicon which we will be studying, identifying the name of God containing the function of the horn of salvation, as with the previous names of God Most High, are not able to be found in any dictionaries of the world. Considering the fact that in Scripture the symbol of the name of God Horn presented the presenting the symbol and standard of his might, which contains the eternal non-diminishing potential of the non-exhaustive and countless abilities and powers of God, with which he created the heavens and earth and all that is in it, including mankind, with which he keeps and watches over this world for judgment at the great white throne, I will remind us of a brief list of characteristics which identified the virtue of God in his name horn found in scripture. <clears throat> the, mi- the mighty power and authority of God in His glorious name, Horn, is the sacral work that is being done in the temple of our body. It is the non-diminishing, unsearchable nature of the power of God in His strength within our body. It is the eternal and unquestionable power of God over the living and dead. It is the power of the might of God to keep those that are condemned to death. The power of the might of God showing that death is unavoidable. The power of the might of God to perform judgment and righteousness by His servants. The power of the might of God to demonstrate His wrath over the vessels of wrath and His mercy over the vessels of mercy. The power of the might of God to sow and gather what was sown. The power of the might of God to split and to separate. The power of the might of God to destroy and to construct. The power of God restores what is destroyed. The power of the might of God to blot out the sins of his nation before his face. The power of the might of God to perform signs and miracles. The power of the might of God to blot out the names of sinners from the book of life. <clears throat> and so these are people who have refused to fulfill their calling, the sinners, to cast off their old man, renew their mind, and to clothe themselves into their new person. We need to consider that the list of the mighty works of God in His glorious name Horn concealed in the non-diminishing, non-exhaustive, and unsearchable works of God accomplished by Him using the mouth of His holy men that are led by the Holy Spirit who have paid the required price for the absolute and sought-after dependence upon the Holy Spirit, the functions that are contained in the power of the name of God Horn, as all of the previous names of God first make themselves known in the collaboration of our faith with the faith of God that are imprinted and abide within our heart and consist in the covenant of blood, covenant of salt, and covenant of peace that is made between us and God in the baptism of of water, Holy Spirit, and fire. In Scripture, the name of God in the functioning meaning horn is used as a symbol of might and strength, which is military weaponry or armor for those who have the rank of warriors in prayer. And as warriors in prayer, we are called to clothe ourselves into the given functions of might so that we can successfully resist the organized powers of darkness who resist us or get in our way of fulfilling the will of God both within our body as well as out of our body. As it is written, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Ephesians 6.10 When it's talking about power and might, then it is talking about the name of God, Horn. God, in His might and power, demonstrates His name, Horn. In Scripture, the symbol of the horn of an animal that grows from Him 
symbolizes God represents himself as a horn within our body. And so the symbol of this horn from an, of an animal growing from him symbolizes one of the unique names of God that in the form of the preach to a seed of the word about the kingdom of heaven within our body contains the eternal, non-diminishing, and unsearchable potential of the might of God in his name horn. It is necessary for us to study under what circumstances and fulfilling what conditions are we called to collaborate our faith with the name of God Horn to destroy within our body the stronghold of death and in its place erect the stronghold of eternal life, identifying the kingdom of heaven within our body. And to study the great and good goal being the greatest and unchanging will of God in the form of our first most or primary purpose and our primary calling, it is necessary for us to answer four classical questions. First, in what works, signs, and symbols do we see demonstrated the characteristics and qualities that the scriptures ascribe the virtue of God in the functioning meaning of his name, Horn? What functions in our relationship with God are the qualities contained in the name of God, Horn, called to fulfill? What conditions do we need to fulfill so that we can provide God with legitimate grounds upon which to show himself in the accomplishment of our salvation in the functioning of his name or the name of God, Horn? And by what signs do we examine ourselves as to whether God abides within our heart in the function of his name Horn and that we are clothed into the virtue of his name Horn? In a specific format, according to the measure of our faith, we already studied the first question in eight of its components. Therefore, we will immediately turn and study question two. Second question, what functions in a relationship with God are the qualities contained in the name of God Horn called to fulfill? I will remind us that the mighty power of God consisting in the abilities of the various functions of his name Horn has multiple meanings, is multifaceted and multifunctional. Because the functions of the mighty power of God consisted in his name Horn are called to make themselves known in the temple of our body in the mighty work of truth consisting in the destructive and creative power of blood of the cross of Christ together with the anointing power of pure oil, and so it's called to destroy the stronghold of death and uh, create, erect the stronghold of life. Uh, and so again, the mighty power of truth and the mighty work of truth consisting in the destructive and creative power of blood of the cross of Christ, together with the anointing power of pure oil, which demonstrates itself in the breath of our lips, clothed into the virtue of kings, priests, and prophets, called to blow into the horn of jubilee, the sound of the horn signifies the start of the feast of the Lord and the beginning and end of waging of wars of the Lord within our body as well as out of our body. We stop to study the first function and the purpose of the mighty power of God within our heart and the virtue of the name of God horn. And it is called to cleanse us from inherited sin by the means of applying the blood of the cross of Christ upon the horns of the bronze altar into which we have built ourselves so that we can dedicate ourselves to the Lord as priests. And so what is an altar? These are God's goals. When we have the right goals of God and the means for achieving these goals, this means that we have an altar. We have built ourselves into this altar, this bronze altar. Only upon such an altar are we able to bring forth prayers. If I pray to God, but I don't know the goals that God has placed for me, if sometimes a person knows these goals, he says, my goal is heaven. But he does not know that to be able to end up in heaven, 
He needs to cast off the old man from himself with his deeds, renew his mind, and then clothe himself into his new person. This is the goal to end up in heaven. Heavens are the goal, but he doesn't know what is necessary to achieve that goal. He thinks that he needs to practice spiritual gifts, prayers, fasting, good deeds, evangelism. But it turns out none of this is necessary for that. You need one thing, to lose your soul. What is it good for a man, as Jesus says, if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Or what price would a man give for the for his soul? We've noted that the collaboration of our horn in the fruit of our spirit with the mighty power of God in his name horn is only possible when we depart from spiritual infancy in the form of our nation, the house of our father, and our fleshly life so that we can build ourselves into a spiritual house and a holy priesthood or into the temple of the Holy Spirit with all of its accessories and in the given situation so that we satisfy the requirement of the altar of burnt offering made of acacia wood overlaid with bronze from which four horns proceed and so the mighty and might and power of God needs to work within us as the four horns when we build ourselves into an altar, we then uh, these four ho- horns are formed. This is the might of God's teaching, the four base teachings that each have three. And the acacia wood, as we talked about, indicates the fact that a person is born from God. <clears throat> you could not build this altar from any wood, but only the wood that God had required. And this acacia wood has very specific qualities even birds are not able to nest in its trees because it is has a lot of thorns Jesus said I cannot lay my head in your heart or find rest in you because you have uh, you have birds with their nests in you and holes for foxes but this tree that is uh, very hard in essence just like the oak tree it does not rot in water it has it has a very powerful root system and can grow almost in any kind of soil and fertilizes itself with its own fruits <clears throat> and because of that it grows and so it can literally grow in most every kind of soil and we also need to satisfy the requirement of the uh, altar of burnt incense made of acacia wood overlaid with pure gold from which come four horns as well which in function and cooperation with one another will represent the fruit of our spirit in the fruit of righteousness and because of the cooperation of one with the other one of the altars with the other they will complete one the other and confirm the truthful essence of one the other because cleansing with the blood of the sacrifice which was done over the horns of the bronze altar. If you remember, uh, <clears throat> this blood was then brought uh, over and applied also upon the uh, the golden horns at, in the sink uh, near the sanctuary. And so the bronze altar was the pr- primary. The golden altar depended upon the bronze altar. The bronze also depended on the golden because its work, its function would not have been a complete uh, functioning work 
without it. Because again, cleansing with the blood of the sacrifice, which was done over the horns of the bronze altar, burnt offering, <clears throat> dedicating, dedica- dedicating us as priests to God in the virtue of warriors in prayer. This is called to present the mighty power of God and the grown by us fruit of righteousness in the Eden of our heart, where we die for our nation, the house of our Father, and for governing sin, living within our body in the form of the old person with his deeds. At the same time, the function of applying the blood of the sacrifice upon the horns of the golden altar will testify before God that we now live for the one who died for us and resurrected, and therefore confirm our redemption from the sinful life passed on to us from our fathers, something we will be looking at closer when we study the purpose of the function of the four horns of the golden altar. Since the function of these two altars, something we are called to build ourselves into, do not work one without the other. Therefore, building yourself into the image of the bronze altar with the horns emerging from it, representing the fruit of our spirit in the temple of our body, identifying the horn of our righteousness, I will break, as written, I will break uh, the horns of the wicked and uh, exalt the horns of the righteous. They come out, these horns, from the bronze altar and golden altar. And so in the, identifying the horn of our righteousness gives us the ability to collaborate with the mighty power of God in the meaning of his name, horn. And so there, bringing an offering upon such an altar, are we able to collaborate with the name of God, horn? First, the collaboration of our horn with the name of God, horn, is called to make itself known in the state of our heart, cleansed from dead works, with the elementary teaching of Jesus Christ imprinted or carved upon its tablets, capable of demonstrating the good soil of of God consisting in His perfect will. Second, the collaboration of our horn with the name of God horn is called to be testimony that building yourself into a bronze altar with the emerging from it horns in the fruit of our spirit contains the ability to judge ourselves in accordance with the demands of the elementary teaching of Christ and the Holy Spirit revealing the meaning or significance of this teaching. The symbol of our finger with which we are called to apply the blood of the sacrifice upon the horns of the bronze altar is a symbol of writing upon the tablets of our heart the covenant of life and peace by confessing with our mouth collaboration of our faith with the faith of God. And so this finger applying the blood it is, a, it is symbolically the confessions of our mouth. This is cl- the confessions of our mouth, the faith of our heart, proclaiming what is contained in the blood of the co- covenant. And so by confessing with our mouth, collaborating our faith with the faith of God, stating what the truth is to us contained in the blood of the covenant, which gives us the legitimate basis to present within the act of our intercession and offering of incense to God in the mighty power of his name, Horn, building ourselves into a golden altar, For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and every place incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations as the Lord of hosts. Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him, one of life and peace, and I gave them to him, that he might fear me, so he feared me and was reverent before me, or before my name. The law of of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity. He turned many away from iniquity, for the lips of a priest should keep knowledge and and people should seek the law from his mouth, for he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. 
This is Matthew 1.11 and Matthew 2.4-7. through 7. Three of the components of the purpose of sacrificing blood applied upon the horns of the bronze altar have already been points we have studied. First, the blood of the sacrifice applied with our finger upon the horns of the bronze altar when dedicating ourselves as priests to God was called to serve as a covenant of peace between us and God. Second, the blood of the sacrifice applied with our finger upon the horns of the bronze altar is called to take part in the collaboration of the carrying of our cross with the cross of Christ. Third, the blood of the sacrifice applied with our finger upon the horns of the bronze altar when dedicating ourselves as priests to God was called to to supply us with abundant entrance into the holy place to the horn of the golden horns of the golden altar of incense serving as evidence of our dedication of ourselves as priests to God. Fourth, the blood of the sacrifice applied with our finger upon the horns of the bronze altar when dedicating ourselves as priests to God is a price paid to be led by the Holy Spirit so that your body can be adopted by the redemption of Christ. <clears throat> as it is written, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The scriptures say to adopt our bodies, crying out, Abba, Father, this is my Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit. In the original it says, the Spirit uh, bears witness with our spirit, is what it says. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so when we begin to thank God, then the Holy Spirit uh, is activated and together with us then testifies before God. Because if our prayer is not within the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit does not participate, then our prayer will only reach the roof but won't reach anything further or the ceiling. It will only satisfy our religious feelings but it will not reach God as we talked about. A prayer reaches God that can uh, uh, provoke hell and bring forth great wars on earth. What you see right now, these wars on earth, they are increasing. Uh, one war hasn't finished, the next already starts, and the next will be in China. And so there's many wars taking place, and the reason is because God is preparing the political sphere for the son of, of, of destruction. But he can't reveal himself until we're taken. He has no power to reveal himself until we're taken. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. People think that if they pray, then suffering needs to end. If we pray, actually suffering may increase. This is given to us as a privilege. If we suffer with Him, then we will be glorified with Him. Because when we 
begin to perform God's will and prayer and pursue God's goals, then the old man, if he is not yet bound within our body, he will become outraged. We will have such emotions, corrupt emotions arising in us, we will become afraid of ourselves and ask ourselves, where's this all coming from? I've never had this. What is this perversion that are are just arising and storming inside because as, while you did not touch those promises that are yours but are within his power he did not show himself and it's not if that's not enough he actually helped you serve god and you had zeal and the desire and you shouted and you and you jumped up and down as false charismatic services do jumping up and down like monkeys on stage not understanding what and in the presence of what God they're they're in try to jump before God you can jump up and down out of the service David did dance and but when he entered the temple in the temple he didn't do these things he, there was only worshiping God their their God was present everything was reverent and respectful same thing here if you if you call your service a service of God what God are you serving if you allow your emotions to become completely untangled then when you go to church you need to come and li- uh, prepare your heart to listen to the words of God all we can do is lift our hands uh, pure hands without wrath or doubt but not make like these sig- signals of ho- of horns as charismatic uh, churches do I asked a brother uh, uh, some, sometimes a person would arrive here that isn't from here, or me- and they're not a member, and they began to wave their hands, doing the horns with their hands, the symbol of the horns. And I told him, do you understand what this means? This, this, this is one of the san- satanic signs, which uh, signifies victory. Victory over Christ. What are you doing here, I asked him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the, for the earnest expectation of the creation, here it's talking about the angels of God, the creation, eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation, angels of God, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. They were subjected to futility. They are subjected to serve. Being spiritual beings, they serve uh, our, car- our our mortal bodies. And so they wait uh, for these uh, people to be clothed into the stronghold of life. So they no longer serve the mortal person, but the one with the stronghold of life in him. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we now, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. So it turns out that salvation has not yet come. We are saved 
in this hope. Hope talks about the future, and we are saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Romans 8, 14 through 25. And so when we wait in hope, that means for the saving of our soul and our body, being led by the Holy Spirit, but not to the adoption of our body, by the redemption of Christ, where in our mortal body the fruit of righteousness which we have grown will be erected in the form of the imperishable or incorrupt stronghold of life. And so being led by the Holy Spirit but not to the adoption of our body means you're most likely, this most likely means that you are actually being led by your lusts or your uncommitted mind or the unclean spirit. <clears throat> and so there are different uh, forms of leadership and so some think that they're being led by the Spirit of God but at the same time the Holy Spirit is not leading them they're not being led by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will lead us to the adoption of our body when we understand what this adoption consists of if we don't know this then the Holy Spirit does not lead he needs to he leads us we need to know he comes to the truth that is already present in the heart, but if this truth is not there, then the Holy Spirit will not come there. This means that we have not been grown yet into the full measure of growth in Christ. We need to consider that being led by the Holy Spirit is possible only within the boundaries of the truth, uh, of the known by us truth concealed within our heart, in the format of the elementary teaching of Christ by listening to, to the preached word, of the man who is clothed into the authority of a father of God and his helpers who do the work of the waters. We know quite well that the goal consisted in adopting our body by the redemption of Christ is the fulfillment of the promise belonging to the, belonging to the door of our hope. The essence of this promise consists in us, in the fruit of our spirit, to demonstrate ourselves in the name Methuselah. In the fruit of our spirit, we need to demonstrate the fruit and we need to demonstrate, uh, or we need to produce bare Methuselah, whom we bore from the seat of the kingdom of heaven, called to take the throne in our body. I will remind us that the name Methuselah, who was born from Enoch, means driving away death, or pushing away death, or thrusting the old man, the producer of sin and death, out of our body with noise. Which allowed Enoch to walk before God or be led by the Holy Spirit. And so, until we bind our old man with his deeds, be bearing our Methuselah, we will not be able to walk before God, because Enoch began walking before God only after he bore Methuselah. And he became for him a sign that before he is taken to heaven, he will receive testimony in the fruit of his spirit that he pleased God. Two things he received. He received the ability to walk before God and a revelation, confirmation that he will be taken to heaven alive. He will not see death. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah, driving away death the one who thrust out the old man with his deeds. 
Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After, after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And so to bear Methuselah is to receive the seed of promise and grow it into fruit. These promises need to be born in us. They need to become our children, these promises, within our body, within our heart. So he bore sons and daughters. Who are these sons and daughters? Why did he need daughters? Daughters were necessary so that he can receive the, the preached word and sons he needed for the reason to uh, clothe himself into that word because when every one of us, when we receive the seed of the kingdom of heaven or seed of any promise, he fulfills the female function. He receives the seed of the word. But when we confess the seed of the word, then regardless of whether we are a man or a woman, we bear sons. We, in this way, uh, the son is the word, the, the, the male function, uh, proclaiming the word. And so in Jesus Christ, there, there's no male or female uh, gender. There's only functions of, of men and women, male and female. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And so we can see in Genesis 5, 21 through 24, we can see according to this place of scripture, we conclude that for Enoch, the ability to walk before God or be led by the Holy Spirit consisted in him growing the fruit of the Spirit in the Eden of his heart in the name of his born son, Methuselah. Symbolically, this means that Enoch died for his nation, the house of his father, and for his corrupt desires of his soul, which allowed him to produce the fruit of the Spirit in the name Methuselah, driving away death from his body, death being the old man with his deeds. Hebrews 11.5, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And this testimony consisted of Methuselah. We please God when we count ourselves dead to sin and living for God. And we proclaim the not-existent stronghold of incorruption within our body as existent. And so we practically, in this way, please God, and God then gives to us confidence that we will be uh, raptured, that we will experience the rapture. Because as the time has not yet come to erect within our body the stronghold of, of life, because God already sees it erected within our body, because we count ourselves dead to sin, living for God, we proclaim and we confess the stronghold we proclaim this stronghold of incorruption in our body, within our body. A symbol of this event was the prophecy of Hosea, where he, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, identified the essence of the promise contained in the name Methuselah, which we are called to inherit, specifically in the fruit of our spirit, grown by us from the accepted by a seed of the word about the kingdom of heaven inside of us. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her from there, from the wilderness that I will allure her into, vineyards from there and the valley of Accor as a door of hope. We know that the valley of Accor was a terrifying experience for the Israelites and it talked about sorrow because it was called the valley of Accor because there Achan was uh, buried who had hidden within his uh, possession 
what was an accursed thing. I will give you from there vineyards and the valley of Accors, a door of hope. A door of hope means before your hope is fulfilled. Hope is rapture, a meeting the Lord in the air. And before we meet with the Lord in the air, at, at the door of this hope, I will give to you these vineyards and the valley of Accor. She shall sing there as in the day of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. Hosea 2, 14, 15. Exiting Egypt, the nation of Israel, within the span of one, uh, pretty much evening, had been healed of all their illnesses. These were slaves with damaged limbs and other members of their body. They were beaten, beaten with sticks. They broke their hands and legs. They had uh, sick inner organs. They were slaves and they were poor and pitiful. And they came out of their wealthy. They took all the wealth of Egypt. They had no ill within their midst. No one was ill or sick. God had healed them. We want that this be very beautifully described, but the scriptures say <clears throat> that none was sick within their tribes. They had taken all of the wealth of Egypt, they came out in wealthy garments and clothing, and they came out free, no longer slaves, because of the mighty power of God's hand that led them into the wilderness for worship. Let my people go to worship me in the wilderness. Let us remember First, the symbol of the wilderness into which God will allure us by the compelling influence and power of the Holy Spirit indicates a special state of hunger and thirst for holiness of the chosen by Him remnant. Second, the symbol of the wilderness into which God will allure us by the compelling influence and power of the Holy Spirit is a special format of total sanctification of the heart that thirsts for righteousness done for the purpose of total dedication of yourself to God. Third, the symbol of the wilderness as a format of sanctification is linked to our ability to carry within our body the death of our Lord Jesus. At the same time, the symbol of dedication is linked to the life of Jesus, which is called to be revealed within our body. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body, 2 Corinthians 4.10. Therefore, the death of the Lord Jesus, which we carry within our body, when we count ourselves dead to sin, becomes a sign of the fact that we, by the cross of the Lord Jesus, died for our nation, the house of our Father, and for the corrupt desires of our soul. And therefore, the death of the Lord Jesus within our body becomes the key, opening the life of Jesus within our body. This is the essence of our purpose and our calling in Jesus Christ to enthrone within our body, within our mortal body, the stronghold of incorruption in the form of the life of Jesus within our body. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall <clears throat> be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 53-57 
Fifth, the blood of the sacrifice applied with our finger upon the horns of the bronze altar when dedicating ourselves as priests to God consists in presenting our bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable to God for our reasonable service, which is our mind, which is renewed by the spirit of our mind <clears throat> for our reasonable service. Often people turn to prophecies, to people who can prophesy what God will say instead of having a reasonable service. Why does God give us a renewed mind so that we can reasonably serve the Lord? We already know how to worship. Therefore, the collaboration of our renewed mind with our meek or gentle mouth, confessing the truth concealed within our heart, which presents within the temple of our body the will of God, the will that is good, acceptable, and perfect, we give God the legitimate grounds to demonstrate the power of His name horn in our body. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. And to present your body a living sacrifice, you need to have an altar, because upon what place or where will you be bringing yourself or your body as a living sacrifice. I, I am the altar and the offering at the same time. I need to build myself into the altar, the bronze altar, a burnt offering, and I need to make myself the sacrifice that is upon this altar. Present your body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12.1.2 By confessing the truth concealed within our heart, which represents the will of God, which is good, acceptable, and perfect, it is important to not be conformed uh, conformed to this world, but be transformed in the renewing of your mind, which upon practice means discipline your mind, not to give place to the devil in the form of carnal thoughts. Otherwise, our confessions will be perceived by God as idle words, for which the wrath of God will come upon the sons of perdition. For those who live according to the flesh, set your mind on the things of the flesh. And so a person uh, stands on his needs, on his knees uh, and tries to use spiritual principles to benefit his flesh. And so he, he has a carnal mind because he lives according to the flesh. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if, but to know if the spirit of God lives in me, I will know by my thoughts, what do I meditate about? What do I think about in my free time? What are my thoughts like? What What is my thinking like? We always think about where our treasure is, what captivates us. We think about what is our God and our worship. We think about what we depend from. And so it's important. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Romans 8, 5 through 10. And if uh, anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. This means the character of Christ and not speaking in tongues. Because I was born in a Pentecostal uh, church and grew up in it, although 
I received the news about Christ from my uh, uncle, who was of a different denomination. And so they were uh, similar to the Seventh-day Adventists, and so he was going there, and that's where I, and he brought me there as well when I was very young, and that's where I received the news about Christ. And so they would say, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. They interpreted it incorrectly. And so for such Pentecostal and Baptist and other uh, denomination uh, denominations, they say these are all people of the world. They will not be saved because they don't, are not speaking in tongues. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, and so I, I told them it's talking about the Spirit of Christ and not those who speak in tongues or not. Apostle Paul said, said to the people who did speak in tongues, you don't have an insufficiency in any gift, but you are carnal, and I can't speak to you as spiritual men. You have jealousy and uh, quarreling, and you separate uh, in different ways, and so you are carnal, he was saying. You don't know God. You can imagine for yourself, they don't have insufficiency in any gift. They speak in tongues. They made a covenant with God. They don't know God. They are carnal. And so here it's talking about the Spirit of Christ, uh, the character of Christ. When the disciples said, Lord, do you want us to we'll bring forth fire upon them? And he said, you don't know of what spirit you are. I came to save those who are perishing. If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness, Romans 8, 5 through 10. Therefore, people that live by the spirit are people who have grown from the seed of justification, the fruit of righteousness, which is their horn in Jesus Christ that is exalted above the horns of their enemies, living within their body as well as out of their body, by the means of which they, in the four horns of the bronze altar, possess the ability to judge their thoughts and intentions so much so that they correspond to the demands of the will of God that is good, acceptable, and perfect. Spiritual thinking is called to serve the interests of our new person who is concealed in Jesus Christ and discipline our words and actions so that they correspond to the demands of our renewed mind, therefore leading our emotional aspect in the direction of the perfect will of God. To heal your emotional part, part of yourself, our emotional aspect of us is very uh, sensitive. Just one ba- one look, one specific word. If you said something correctly, but it was perceived incorrectly or, or offensively, and you offend this person not knowing that you did. And so sometimes trying to make peace between two people who one has offended the other, one did not know that they offended the other because they didn't have this goal, but the other did uh, accept this uh, and consider this to be an offensive thing. And I tell the one that offended the other, not intentionally, so I, I told him, can you just ask for forgiveness and tell him I didn't want to offend you? And when I call that person and tell them, this person, this this brother wants to tell you something, and he says, forgive me, I did not want to offend you. And the other person becomes silent because he was angry at him, and he didn't realize that he was going to ask for forgiveness. We need to understand these things. Our 
uh, emotional part of us, our aspect is very sensitive until we clothe it into righteousness. When we clothe it into righteousness, then not a single fiery dart or, or arrow will fall into it or end up into it because it will be useless. Um, but until we have clothed ourselves into our new person, it is just an opened wound uh, for all kinds of attacks and words that may be, it may hear. Tell me, O oh you whom I love, where you feed your flock, where you make it, it rest at noon, for why should I be as one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions? We see here the most beautiful of women who is wounded emotionally, and she speaks with sorrow. Why should I be as one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions? This means that they won't they don't accept me as their own. They hurt me. They don't accept me. And so she says, tell me of whom I love, where you feed your flock. He responds, if you do not know, O fairest among women, follow in the footsteps of the flock and feed your little goats beside the shepherd's tents. Songs of Solomon 178 the path and so she was not walking the path upon the path of the of the sheep she was feeding her flocks uh, beside uh, the flocks of her of the companions but she needed to feed the the flocks next to the shepherd's tents and so the sheep they don't they aren't upset uh, sheep, sheep don't have in themselves. Uh, I'm not talking about the the rams. Rams themselves are a little bit different. They 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 do bud heads and they, as you know, uh, where it says avoid uh, ridiculous quarreling. It says very similar to somehow sometimes these uh, rams uh, behave this way. They just bud heads for no reason, as some people try to always have a conflict for no reason. But sheep in general, they're, they're, they're very quiet and obedient. And as, uh, as they were, uh, the, the comparison of Jesus Christ, that he was as a sheep that was uh, at the hands of the shearer. And so when... And so we usually will know, I, he, I know about myself when someone is shearing me because the hair that grows from a, from a sheep is a symbol of sin. Anything coming from our body is a symbol of sin. And so to cleanse us symbolically, this shearing takes place. And the messenger of God is the one shearing when he speaks the word and the word corrects. And so the sheep takes this correction gladly even if she's bleeding somewhere because she is in humility, a humble person. He does not have offense in his heart. If a person has offense in his heart, that means he has not been yet grown or developed into humility or having this mature fruit of, of humility or being humble. And so as you would see a matured fruit, a, a, for example, a, an apple or a tomato, but if a person is not yet uh, humble in that case, uh, we we 
are not yet ha, have not yet produced a, a mature fruit of 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 humility. And so, if you do not know fairest among women, follow in the footsteps of the flock, and feed your little goats beside the shepherd's tent. In other words, don't uh, base anything off of how you may understand it, but how you hear it uh, the, from the messenger shepherd I have uh, I have placed. The path upon which the sheep follow their shepherd is a symbol of the price paid for the opportunity to enter through the narrow gate, because the sheep, they follow the shepherd through this narrow gate. The, the sheep are the bride, the virtuous wife, and the, the sheep, the, it makes up this virtuous wife, and they are also the narrow gate, because this narrow gate is where you go go in uh, to, into heaven. This is not at the door or at the threshold or at the threshold or porch. This is a door leading into heaven. And so there are a few churches that are a true door into the kingdom and it's hard to enter. And why it's hard? Because when we enter into, into any church, we come in with our own baggage, with our own opinions. But this is how not how I, it was preached in another church or why do you have this why do you have that and so to be able to enter into a church that's a door to heaven you need to leave all the baggage behind all of the opinions behind and then you're able to enter the narrow gate many will seek and not be able to enter why because they ha- the baggage of religious things is too large and they're not able to come in and too much of their own understandings and ideas the symbol of the shepherd's tents beside which we need to feed our little goats is the fruit of humility demonstrated in gentleness or meekness of our heart to discipline and place your mind in voluntary dependence of the mind of the man whom God has sent so that his lips represent God's lips within the church of saints who possess the virtue of a good wife and therefore is the narrow gate leading to eternal life or the path upon which the flocks walk following the person whom God has sent. Then one said to him, Lord, are there, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate. Pretty much, fourth effort to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and not be able. When Once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you, where are you from? Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you, where are you from? Depart from me, all you who work iniquity. Luke 13, 23 through 27. When the flood took place, people never saw rain. If If you pay attention, rain wasn't falling at that time. It was only dew that would give water to the earth. People did not have an understanding of rain at the time. And so when Noah built the Ark of Salvation, this surprising house, and God said, go in. And when he came in, God closed the door behind him, shut the door, and a wind blew and the rain fell. But so powerful, it was it was just... Uh, as the waterfalls of heaven came uh, uh, became uh, open and, and came down. The springs of the depths were opened, water began to burst from the ground, and people began to run to Noah because he preached to them. He told them an end will come, but they didn't believe him. They, they mocked him, and they began to knock at that door, open for us. 
we're perishing. Everything is is going to flood right now. But there was no response. Symbolically, Christ said, I don't know you. Where are you from? When my wrath shall come, that will be flooding you. Then it will be too late to shout. When I sit upon my great white throne and will judge you, and you say, but we ate before you, and you taught in our streets, he will say, I did not have streets. What streets are you referring to? I have the city Jerusalem, the virtuous wife, and there is one street there. And on the one and other side, there's the tree of life. And in the midst of the street, there's a river of life. There is no other. There are no other streets. I teach only in such a church. And you were in other streets somewhere, and so I don't know you. And so we need to perceive the narrow gate leading to life as our partaking to the body of Christ in the form of, of such a church who possesses the virtue of a good wife as it possesses the status of a narrow gate demonstrated in the virtue of a bronze altar from which the four horns emerge. The altar speaks of the fact that you ha- that you know the will of God that you've sanctified yourself. However, to discover and walk through the narrow gate, it is necessary to possess the ability to look upon the unseen or or invisible goals in a way so that, like God, we proclaim the not-existent as existent, because God does not live uh, within the the, uh, limitations of time. And so, things that are supposed to happen later, God sees them immediately as What's in the future is as if it's today. He does not have, again, he does not live within the limitation of time as we do. When God speaks with his language, he proclaims the not existent as existent or states them as existing. And so it is very important to understand that. Because according to scripture, the unseen or invisible goals presented in the oath promises of God upon which we are supposed to look are eternal. At the same time, the seen or visible goals reflected in material success, well-being, and fame are temporary. When we, being children of God, turn our attention to seen or visible goals, they transform us from worshippers of God into idol worshippers, and in result will produce a harvest of eternal dishonor, shame, and corruption. This is because the, the principle of looking upon unseen or invisible goals presented in the oath promises of God is the work of one of the mightiest and unique methods of sowing and growing within the good soil of your heart, seed of the kingdom of heaven, into the fruit of the Spirit. Only when we look upon the invisible and unseen and proclaim this invisible and unseen, only in this way is the fruit of the Spirit grown. The object that we look at with desire are sown into the soil of our heart and produce fruit which transforms our essence into the nature of the object that we look at or that we think about, which is practically the same thing. Therefore, when we look at unseen or invisible goals presented in the law of grace in the oath promises of God, they transform us into the image of the Son of God, and according to Scripture, such transformation produces the fruit of eternal life, which is far more exceeding. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but things that are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are seen 
not seen are eternal, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, 18. In the given situation, the object of study of our unseen or invisible goals in the oath promises of God, which are the virtues of God and which we are called to obtain by confessing specific regulations and commandments is the command to look at the process of life flowing through a growing lily. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, that is, the uh, perishable wealth or materialistic uh, things. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what it will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap or gather into barns. And so neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valued than they are? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I see, I say to you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? As soon as you seek the kingdom of heaven, then you will not notice how I will give as a free addition materialistic goods that you will not need to search or pay a price for. You need to pay a price for the kingdom. Relevant to this, I will remind us that first, the growth of the lily in obeying our faith to the faith of God, which are the words of the person sent by God, is a demonstration of life at the same time withering and the stoppage of its growth is a demonstration of death. However, we are called to look not at how the lily withers, but how the lily grows. That is the resurrection of life flowing in this lily, which became possible for the lily because of the death of the seed into which the lily was sown. When we need to see in this lily ourselves, always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. 2 Corinthians 4, 10, 11. The life of Jesus needs to be manifested and so the life of God is already in our heart. Our spirit has eternal life. But here he's talking about our body so that the life of Christ may be uh, revealed. Second Corinthians 4, 10, 11. Therefore the death of the Lord within us, which we are called to testify in the blood of the covenant applied upon the horns of the bronze altar into the which we have built ourselves is the seed of the lily sown into the good soil of our heart at the same time the elevation of the life of Jesus in our body from the death of the seed of the lily is the discovery of the life of Jesus within our body, making us a lily of the valley before the face of God. The beauty of the lily is one of the imperishable and, nat- and natural virtues of the Heavenly Father, demonstrated by Him as well as His Son Jesus Christ and a person born from God in Christ Jesus who has grown the seed of the lily in the soil of His heart into the full measure of growth in Christ. I am the Rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. The Holy Spirit calls himself a lily of the valley. Like a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. Songs of Solomon 2, 1, 2. He calls his beloved one 
uh, his lily because through in her is the uh, process of life flowing. Third, the natural beauty of the lily and the virtue of the bride of the lamb is contrary to the thorns in the form of other daughters aspiring to have the calling of the bride and the attention of the groom. The symbol of thorns is when a person looks at visible goals in the form of materialistic prosperity that as thorns choke the seed of the kingdom of heaven received by him in the death of the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> this is specifically why the other daughters are in the likeness of thorns, aspiring to the status of the bride and the attention of the beloved, because the visible goals which they have made the object of their focus is materialistic prosperity. The existence of the lily as a result of looking at the invisible or unseen goals and the virtue of the Heavenly Father is the fruit of life in the form of the kingdom of heaven, which was previously received into the good soil of the heart and the format of a seed in the death of the Lord Jesus. We have noted that every time when God calls us to look upon the visible masterpieces of His creation into which He has placed and displayed the might of His horn, the beauty of His horn and quality of His horn, he is actually calling us every time to see within the specific visible masterpieces a specific invisible goal containing a specific virtue of God and specific spiritual principle of faith which he has placed into the visible masterpieces of creation to grow us into the perfection of his image from which we conclude that we are created for such a purpose and such abilities to look at specific goals, whether they are visible or invisible, and by the means of looking at these goals, be transformed into their state and their image. Considering this, the essence of our abilities consists, we are created in the fact that we are not able to simultaneously look at two warring with one another and resisting one another goals, in the form of visible and perishable, and in the form of invisible and eternal. Therefore, before looking at one of these warring with one another goals, it is necessary for us to make a choice either for the benefit of the visible and perishable or for the benefit of the invisible and imperishable. Invisible or unseen goals in the form of imperishable wealth represent the interests of, the, of eternal life in God and with God, which are called and ready to be revealed by the time of the harvest. At the same time, visible goals in the form of perishable wealth represent the interests of eternal death in Satan and with Satan, who impersonates himself as God and is an adversary of God and those people who look at the invisible or unseen goals that are in God. To look at unseen, unseen or invisible goals means not to look back or knowing the path of righteousness never go back. Amen. Let us bend our knees and our heads and we will pray and thank God for the words that we were able to receive today. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we worship again and again upon this holy place blessed by you, which you have made the throne of your good words. We worship before the might of your word, which you have magnified in the temple of our body above all of your names. May your mercy be blessed now and forever within the hearts of your people, and may they see your oath promises in action which they are faithful to today proclaiming the not existent stronghold of incorruption as existent I believe that the time is, will come that we will be witnesses of this 
great work. We carry this great work within our heart for our body. And we thank you that you have made our bodies a temple of your Holy Spirit, that although our bodies are still corrupt, mortal, <clears throat> you have made them the temple of your Holy Spirit because within our body we have the promise that is incorrupt. And so the Holy Spirit can live only within such a person who has incorrupt and imperishable promises that a person lives by, he looks upon, he proclaims, and that he is waiting for with patience. And so may your mercy be a blessing for your people, and may within your nation all illness be cursed, all weakness, may all bad behavior, character be cursed, so we can obtain your character. We worship before you our great God, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. <laughs> 